Can our gut microbiome help us lose weight? Tune in to find out only here on the People Scientist Podcast. to the People Scientist, the podcast dedicated to helping us optimize our health with the latest scientific findings on neuroscience, physiology, and nutrition. I, your host, Dr. Stephanie Caligiuri, a nutritionist, physiologist, and neuroscientist, will be here with you every single week, bringing us information to ignite our thinking, to help us be one step closer to the healthiest we can be. Hello, my People Scientist Army, and welcome back to the People Scientist Podcast for episode 108, where every week I arm us with some scientific information so that we can all become a little bit smarter and healthier with every new episode. How are you doing today? Now, whether you are listening while you're at work, while on your commute, going for a walk, cleaning, working out, or as you're resting before bed, I hope that I can add some fun and entertaining science into your day. So what are we talking about today? Well, there was a new study that my friend Richard, who's also a neuroscientist, had shared with me. This study was published in the journal Nature this month by Jumpertz von Schwarzenberg. (laughs) What a great name that is. This was a very in-depth, well-done study that showed an important connection between restricting calories, our gut microbiome, and weight loss. Now, in the last five to 10 years, there's been quite a bit of research on the bacteria in our intestines, probiotics, prebiotics, and weight loss. So in today's episode, I'm going to touch upon all of this with a focus on this most recent paper. So as we always do, let's start off with some core takeaways. Our gut microbiome consists of the tiny microorganisms that make our intestines their home. Primarily, scientists focus on the bacteria that live in our intestines. In the last several years, scientists have grown to appreciate the fact that our gut microbiome can impact our overall health and risk for chronic disease. Recently, a study was published that showed eating a low-calorie diet and losing weight significantly impacted the gut microbiome, and that the changes to the gut microbiome also contributed to weight loss, as when the scientists transplanted stool samples from women who lost weight into mice, the mice lost weight. So, can beneficial bacteria like probiotics or fibers that promote the growth of beneficial bacteria, called prebiotics, can they be of benefit for weight loss? Well, the animal studies are very promising, and the clinical data in humans shows that there may be a benefit. Probiotics can be found in foods like yogurt, kombucha, and in capsule form. Prebiotics can include foods rich in inulin like leeks, asparagus, chicory root, and fibers present in bananas, garlic, onions, flaxseed, barley, and more. 
Now, these foods and probiotics might be of benefit to help maintain a healthy body weight, as some of the clinical trial data shows. And also in this episode, it gives some extra suggestions on how to help keep our metabolic rate up when we lose weight in this episode. So now let's get into those details. In the journal Nature this month, Jumpertz von Schwarzenberg and colleagues published the findings of their clinical trial. The scientists recruited 80 women who were identified as being overweight or obese and who were postmenopausal. Now, half the women were asked to follow a very low-calorie diet, ate 800 calories in liquid form per day for eight weeks. After those eight weeks, they followed a well-balanced low-calorie diet for four weeks, and then another four weeks of eating enough calories to maintain their body weight or the maintenance phase. The women lost on average 12.5 kilograms after the 12 weeks of eating low calorie, which is about 27 and a half pounds. The control group, by contrast, was instructed to eat enough calories to maintain their weight and their body did their body weight did not change significantly throughout the trial. And the scientists first measured their metabolic rate or how efficiently they burned calories by indirect calorimetry. The scientists noted that in women eating low calorie, their metabolic rate dropped, so they burned fewer calories. In the women where their metabolic rate dropped more, they were more likely to gain fat mass upon the maintenance phase of eating. So the reason that why we may regain weight after a maintenance phase, after losing weight, is because our metabolism our metabolic rate may decline. Now, the scientists didn't get into this, but this begs the question, how do we keep our metabolic rate high so that we do not regain weight after eating lower calorie? Now, this in itself, I think, would be a great podcast episode. But briefly, some suggestions supported by science, I'll give you some here. Weight training and putting on muscle mass, as muscle is highly metabolically active, may be able to benefit our metabolic rate exercising daily in general as well. We've known for decades that muscle mass greatly impacts our metabolic rate. For example, Zerlo in 1990 in the journal Clinical Investigation wrote of this. They determined that the amount of muscle mass we have can explain about 50% of the variation in our metabolic rate. So people that tend to have more muscle mass tend to have a higher metabolic rate. So in short, doing some strength training and adding muscle mass is likely to be of benefit to our metabolism and us keeping off the weight when we've lost weight. In 2018, in the journal Obesity Reviews, Barnes and Hills wrote about this specific topic, and they wrote about just how much exercise might be required to help maintain our metabolic rate and maintain our weight loss. They reported in this paper that the greatest improvement in health and metabolic rate was observed in people who changed from a sedentary lifestyle with little to no exercise, to now regularly completing just 5 to 10 miles of walking per week. So if we are attempting to lose weight and generally do not exercise, then a goal of walking 5 to 10 miles per week is likely to help our metabolic rate and help us keep the weight off after losing fat mass. However, it's important to note that this same modest increase in exercise does not seem to have the same improvement in health or metabolic rate for people with a higher level of exercise normally. So if you're the type of person to regularly exercise every day, now just walking 5 to 10 miles might not be sufficient enough to keep your metabolic rate up. 
So then how about in people who do regularly exercise? What is required? Well, in the Harvard alumni study, they noted that the greatest improvement in metabolic rate was in those burning around 3,000 to 3,500 calories from exercise per week. So if we aim to burn an extra 500 calories per day through our exercise and workout regimen, then this is likely to have a benefit to our metabolic rate and our ability to maintain a healthy body weight. So hopefully that gives some added suggestions as to when we're losing fat mass in order to prevent us from putting that fat mass back on. We can do things like adding muscle mass and regularly exercising. But what else? In 2018, in the journal BMJ, scientists compared a higher versus moderate versus lower carbohydrate diet for the maintenance phase after weight loss and measured these, the participants' metabolic rate. Now, the lower carbohydrate diet, which consisted of 20% of calories from carbohydrates, resulted in a higher energy expenditure and metabolic rate versus the 60% higher carbohydrate diet. So eating a lower carbohydrate diet during the maintenance phase of our weight loss may be of assistance in keeping our metabolic rate up. Now, protein in general tends to raise our body temperature. It's thermogenic, we call it. So it is also thought that eating a good amount of protein, around 15 to 35% of our calories from protein, might also aid in keeping our metabolism from dropping after weight loss. So to repeat what I just said, weight training to gain muscle mass, daily exercising, eating lower carbohydrate, and consuming a good amount of protein may help to maintain our energy expenditure and metabolic rate after weight loss. Now, how about the topic today, our gut microbiome? So our gut microbiome includes living microorganisms residing in our intestines. In general, there is a focus on the bacteria present in our gut. Well, this month in Nature, in the same cohort of 80 women who followed that low-calorie diet for 12 weeks, the scientists noted some marked differences in their gut microbiome compared to baseline before the low-calorie diet. For example, the scientists noted a significant decrease in the level of gut microbial colonization. So what this means is the bacteria seem to thrive less with a lower-calorie diet. Not only did the amount of bacteria in the intestines reduce with the low-calorie diet, but the type of bacteria also changed. For example, the low-calorie diet increased the growth of bacteria capable of metabolizing host glycans at the expense of bacteria specialized in the metabolism of plant polysaccharides. So what this means is the gut microbiome may have shifted toward using our own carbohydrates that our body produces as energy to fuel the bacteria, as opposed to using fiber in our diet as their main fuel source. Now, fiber is important as an energy source for the bacteria in our intestines because they can produce things like short-chain fatty acids from the fiber, and short-chain fatty acids can serve as energy for the cells of our colon to help maintain our intestinal health. Now, three major short-chain fatty acids produced by our gut microbiome include acetate, butyrate, and valerate. These were all significantly decreased when the women ate a low-calorie diet. Even though the scientists noted genes involved in short-chain fatty acid synthesis increased in the low-calorie diet, this was insufficient to maintain short-chain fatty acid production. So this is seen as a potentially negative shift in the gut, gut microbiome with low-calorie intake. It is possible that this could be prevented with the consumption of different types of fibers coming from fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds.
seeds, and whole grains. So if we are following a low-calorie diet, it is suggested to still eat a variety of different fibers. But here's the cool and interesting thing about this study. The scientists took the gut microbiome colonies from the five women who followed the low-calorie diet that lost the most weight. So 40 women were in the low-calorie diet group, but they took the top five women that lost the most weight. Essentially, the scientists took their poop or stool samples. They took stool samples at baseline before the women lost weight and after the low-calorie diet and weight loss. Then the scientists transplanted the stool samples into the intestines of mice. This would cause the mice to now have the same gut microbiome to the women at baseline or after their weight loss. The scientists wanted to see what would happen to the mice if they had the same gut microbiome as the women. After only two days, the mice that received the stool samples from women who lost weight indeed lost weight as well. More specifically, the mice exhibited a 12.5% drop in body weight after having the same gut microbiome as the women who lost weight. Whereas the mice that received the transplantation of stool samples from the women before they lost weight did not lose weight. So this is really important because this is a very direct experiment showing that the gut microbiome itself could potentially impact body weight. The scientists noted no changes in food intake in the mice, so it didn't appear that the change in the gut microbiome impacted appetite. But what the, the scientists did notice is that there were more calories in the stool samples of the mice, indicating less breakdown and less absorption of nutrients by the intestines. So it appears the food was not being broken down and calories less likely to be absorbed. This could be due to the reduction in bacteria present in the intestines. So let me give an analogy to help explain this. Eating a low-calorie diet impacts our gut microbiome. It's kind of like if the people who are in charge of recycling went on strike. So there would be fewer people to recycle our cardboard, our plastics, our glass, etc. So instead of our recyclables going to be recycled, they're now going into the trash. Likewise, in a low-calorie diet, there are fewer bacteria available to metabolize our food, to turn that food into energy. So instead, our food is passing through with our stool. Yeah, does that make sense? I hope so. Interestingly, in these mice that received the microbiome transplant, their blood glucose levels were also impacted. The mice that received the transplant of the gut microbiome from the women who lost weight had a reduction in blood glucose versus the control mice. So again, a really interesting finding that our gut microbiome might impact our risk for diabetes or our blood glucose levels. And this in the, is one of the first trials to really nicely show this relationship that our, the bacteria in our intestines are not just an isolated unit, but the bacteria in our intestines might have the capability to impact our overall health. Now, unexpectedly, the scientists noted that a pathogenic bacteria, meaning a bacteria known to cause illness and negatively impact intestinal health, called C. difficile, seemed to be upregulated in the women with the greatest weight loss after the low-calorie diet, and that this increase in C. difficile seemed to contribute to the weight loss of the mice, despite their intestinal health still being unaffected. The scientists think that C. difficile increased 
as there were less bile acids available in the intestines. And normally bile acids would inhibit C. difficile growth. So bile acids are present to help in the absorption and metabolism of the fat that we eat. So if we take in less fat, there's less likely to be bile acids in our intestines. It is as though there was less security around, and so the bad guys were out and about more. Despite the increase in this pathogenic bacteria, the women in mice did not develop any negative intestinal effects. But the scientists note that this requires further investigation. So this new study begs the question about how our gut microbiome may help us maintain a healthy weight. Now there are some studies looking at probiotics and prebiotics. So let's talk about that a little bit. Probiotics are food or supplements that contain the bacteria itself. Typically, it contains strains of bacteria like bifidobacteria and lactobacilli strains that are thought to have some benefit to our health. Typically, these can be found in things like yogurts, kombucha, kefir, or available in capsule form. Now, prebiotics are fibers that act as a fuel source to help specific bacteria in our intestines flourish and multiply. For example, inulin has been observed to beneficially impact bacterial strains like bifidobacteria in our intestines. Now, foods rich in inulin include chicory root, dandelion greens, Jerusalem artichoke, leeks, asparagus. In addition, foods like garlic, onion, flaxseed, barley, oats, and bananas are reported to have prebiotic effects promoting the growth of good bacteria as well. Now, the findings in rodent studies are very promising with probiotics inducing weight loss, preventing the negative impact of a high-fat diet on body weight, beneficially impacting fat mass and blood glucose levels. But I won't go into the rodent studies too much because I think what really accounts or what counts are the human clinical trials. And unfortunately, as usually is the case, the clinical data is less clear. In the journal Nutrients this year, Perna and colleagues conducted a meta-analysis where they pooled together several randomized controlled trials that included nearly 1,500 patients to understand if supplementing with probiotics could induce weight loss. The scientists concluded that there was a slight decrease in BMI and a slight decrease in waist size after probiotic intake, but not a significant decrease in body weight. The effects seem to be modest in these trials. But there are limitations to these studies as there are so many different probiotic and bacterial strains to study that it may be difficult to compare. And perhaps certain strains are more beneficial than others. The clinical trial data is still trying to decipher that. The majority of the bacterial strains that were studied were lactobacilli and bifidobacteria. Now, how about prebiotics? Last year in the journal Preventive Nutrition and Food Science, Aun and colleagues wrote a review that detailed this. In general, a high-fat, low-fiber diet is thought to have a negative impact on our gut microbiome as it reduces the diversity of the bacteria in our intestines. Whereas intake of high-fiber foods like fruits, vegetables, beans, and nuts seem to increase the diversity of the bacteria in our intestines and seem to be associated with reduced weight gain in humans, independent of calorie intake. There was a cross-sectional study that was performed by Whisper in 2018 that compared changes to gut microbial diversity and composition in young adults who undertook a moderate to vi vigorous physical activity. 
The study found increases in microbial diversity, especially in participants who received an adequate amount of fiber per day in addition to the exercise. So that was really interesting is that they not only looked at fiber, prebiotic intake, but also exercise. And exercise might appear to impact our gut microbiome too. In 2015, in the journal Nutrition and Metabolism, participants were given either 30 grams of inulin, which is a prebiotic, in powder form every day, or a control product, which was cellulose, a plant fiber, every day. Now, the participants were followed for 18 weeks. Interestingly, in the second half of the trial, so from weeks 9 to 18, the inulin group started to deviate from the control group more so and exhibited some benefits to fat loss and weight loss. The participants that were taking 30 grams of inulin per day lost about 7.5 kilograms and reduced their body fat by 4% over the 18-week period. By comparison, the control group lost about 4.5 kilograms and reduced their body weight by 2%. So they saw only about half the improvements as the inulin group. Several clinical trials also indicate a potential benefit of inulin on blood glucose levels in individuals with diabetes. One important thing to note is that inulin can cause flatulence. So to start with a small amount or to start with a low quantity of inulin or foods containing inulin to see how you feel and then to work your way up. So to remind us all, foods rich in inulin include chicory root, dandelion greens, Jerusalem artichoke, leeks, and asparagus. In addition, many foods now have inulin added to them, like protein and energy bars or cereals. Or inulin can also be purchased in powder form by itself, which can be baked into foods or added to water to be drank. Other foods rich in resistant starch or glycans that may also serve as prebiotics to cause and flourish the beneficial bacteria to grow in our intestines include oats, flaxseed, barley, garlic, onions, and bananas. In general, these high-fiber foods may also have benefit to healthy weight maintenance because fiber may have a satiating effect, reducing appetite. These fibers may also be broken down by the bacteria in our intestines to produce short-chain fatty acids, which may provide healthful benefits to our intestinal cells and may also contribute to our reduction in appetite. In the journal Nature Reviews in 2011, the scientists note that if we stop consuming prebiotics for one week, that the benefits to our gut microbiota will be reduced. So the continual consumption of prebiotics needs to be constant in order for us to have that benefit. This also has been noted for probiotics too. So that is a wrap, my people, scientist army, for episode 108. A new study to come out this month that yes, indeed, our gut microbiome is impacted by weight loss, and may also contribute to our weight loss. It appears that when individuals followed a low-calorie diet and lost weight, that the amount of bacteria in their intestines reduced, and how efficiently their food was digested was also reduced. Like the analogy I gave about the people who recycle our materials being on strike, and therefore more of our supplies going to the garbage as opposed to being recycled into new things. In this scenario, our food is not being turned into calories or energy as efficiently. Instead, it is being eliminated in our stool, which is thought to be part of the reason for the weight loss. This is evidenced by when stool samples of women who lost weight were transplanted into mice. The mice also lost weight. 
This is a really cool study because it's showing that our gut microbiome can indeed influence our body weight. So the question is, can we replicate this change in the gut microbiome and have a beneficial impact on our body weight with the use of probiotics and prebiotics? Maybe. Animal studies are very promising. In clinical trials where participants were given supplements of beneficial bacterial strains, aka probiotics, or fibers that beneficially promote the growth of bacteria, aka prebiotics, often did induce some modest weight loss and reduction in fat mass versus the control group. The bacterial strains mostly studied were lactobacilli and bifidobacteria. Hopefully more and more data comes out on this topic, but I think right now we are just appreciating the fact that our gut microbiome can impact our overall health. For years, we didn't think that the bacteria in our, in our intestines had much of an effect on our overall health, unless it was something pathogenic like E. coli making us sick. But now science is making us appreciate and realize that our gut microbiome can have a great impact on our overall health, our body weight, and our risk for chronic disease. And hopefully soon I can do an update episode with even more recent data. So if you want to see some of the papers I cite in this episode, you can follow me on social media where I post the abstracts to many of these studies. If you want to by chance buy me a coffee to say thanks for the episode, you can find out how to do that in the description box below. I hope that you all have an awesome week and I look forward to meeting you all back here the same time and same place next week on the People Scientist podcast. Bye for now. I am a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of Mount Sinai Hospital and its affiliates.